the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Yes, it is. And welcome back. Wednesday, May 18th, 2022. Let me give you the number right off the bat here. 602-508-0960. I'll be giving my monologue at the top of the third hour today. Uh, and I'm going to address it on the issue of, put it in the news here at the top, uh, the disintegration and ending Thank God, ding dong, the witch is gone of the Disinformation Governance Board, the Disinformation Governing Board at the Department of Homeland Security. Boy, you talk about two things that just should 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 send generally people interested in liberalism, liberty, freedom, just should send them cowering a Department of Homeland Security and then a Disinformation Governing Board within Department of Homeland Security. Well, DHS will be with us for some time, and hopefully we can get control of it in a couple of years, or maybe with a congressional oversight once we retake uh, the House of Representatives and hopefully as well the Senate in uh, November, which I am not taking for granted uh, at all, and none of us should take for granted. But the winds do look good. Let's get those winds in our sails and run with them, if I didn't mix too many metaphors there. Think of all the stories that came out today. We're going to get into a bunch of other stuff, too. This Nakba resolution Rashida Tlaib is putting forth uh, the primaries, uh, particularly Pennsylvania, if you want to talk about that. But the thing I was kind of working on in my mind today on, on my bike ride was this news. Talked about it a little bit. It's been flying around for about a day or so. Uh, I'll give you the Fox headline. Elon Musk lights up Twitter after declaring he'll vote GOP next election. He says the left should reflect on why. I, I, I think this this is a big moment and an opportunity for a lot of us, um, not just Elon Musk, freedom of speech and Twitter. He said, I have voted overwhelmingly. This was in a podcast. He said, I have voted overwhelmingly for Democrats historically, overwhelmingly. Like, I'm not sure. I might never have voted for a Republican, just to be clear. Now, this election, I will. I'll give you a little more of what he said. But I want you to think about the attacks on Elon Musk from the left at the Twitter and social in the Twitter and social media universe, as well as throughout the rest of our political culture. The left taking on you guys talk about the Democratic Party being a moderate party. This was a Democrat. This guy says he's not sure he even ever voted for a Republican. And they sent him to Coventry like no one's. I have never seen such a concerted effort to resist someone in political or public life, as has been done with Elon Musk. And when you think about over what, over what, buying a company and saying that company is not going to discriminate on speech, that was the animus, that was the hobgoblin that Elon Musk created for the woke left, and they can't handle it. And he's now doing more. He's now he's now doing more, not even in possession of it yet. And he, along with uh, Project Veritas, are exposing uh, that a lot of what Twitter's bragging rights were 
you know, their subscribers and uh, or their followers and their Twitter. Uh, yeah, I guess you would call them subscribers, right? Um, a lot of them were bots. A lot of them were fake. A lot, which you know has a series of implications attached to it. That could go to the SEC. That could go to the FBI. It could lower the price that Elon Musk. Uh, it might he might have a fraud claim for the price they were offering if it was solicited or if it was given to him under a fraudulent pretense of what the company is that he was buying. I mean, there are a lot of implications going on right here. I saw Nancy Pelosi today was talking about a possible indictment coming out of the baby formula shortage. Uh, and I'm not sure exactly where she goes with that. I noticed she was careful to say I'm not speaking on behalf of my caucus. So even she probably thought she was you know, floating a tenuous theory. Although, you know, I got to say, as I say that phrase, a tenuous theory, I got to say the world we live in now, are there any theories that are tenuous anymore? You have seen some of the craziest stuff absorb and contain and take on auras of credibility like I never thought possible, whether it's having to do with what we're teaching our children, whether it's having to do with the textbook wars, whether whether it's having to do with the study of history, whether it's having to do with what kind of violence we are going to reject and what kind of violence we are going to accept based on the race of the victim and the race of the alleged, um, the alleged uh, perpetrator. Uh, these are crazy things, too that I thought would only have the most tenuous of grasps. A lot of what we went through for COVID, from COVID, by a lot I mean probably 85% or more of what we went through for COVID, I thought would never, could never happen here. What did I end, uh, end my monologue yesterday quoting William Vogley saying that, um, that uh, uh, delicate and valuable things can also be fragile and fragile things can be broken. America is a valuable thing. It turns out it's a lot more fragile than I thought. Now, the question is, when the antibodies kick in, are the antibodies strong enough to put the broken pieces, the broken places back together? Sometimes they say, don't they, that the, um, the, broken, the broken bone heals stronger than the unbroken bone. The broken bone heals stronger than the straight one sometimes. And we have seen in this country antibodies kicking in and reversing nonsensical uh, forays that we engage in. So we'll see. Uh, we'll see about that this November. And we will, of course, roll up our sleeves and do everything we can to get those antibodies into our body politic and correct some of this. But let me return to some of what Elon Musk said in announcing that he is going to be um, voting as a Republican. Uh, he said, just to be clear, I don't think I've ever voted for a Republican. Now this election, I will. He says, quote, the issue here is that the Democratic Party is overly controlled by the unions and by the trial lawyers, particularly the class action lawyers. It's interesting. I would have thought he would have gone somewhere else. But then he did add. And generally, if you see something that is not in the interest of the people on the Democratic side, it's going to come because of unions, which is just another form of monopoly and the trial lawyers. Well, good for Elon for uh, going after them. We have we have uh, we have been we Republicans, we conservatives have been going after those institutions for a long time as well. Tort reform has you know been a desiderata of our party and our movement for a long time. Uh, but so, too, 
has opposition to some of the unions. I don't. I, I don't know all the unions that 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 uh, Elon Musk has had to interact with. Of course, you would certainly think uh, transportation, auto uh, would be would be would be big among them. But when you think about the teacher unions, and you think about particularly COVID, and you think particularly about the children, uh, I would think that that would be, uh, shall we say, uh, uh, target number one. For dismantling the power of there's there's no immediate way to do that so long as teachers are willing to pay dues to the teachers unions and so long as states that aren't open states have closed shop states uh, there's no great way to do that except I think through public shaming which you know is long 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 past time long past time to do when it comes to the teachers unions you look at some of the stuff Randy White. Weingarten is saying right now she's the head of the second largest one, but the only one that seems to get attention these days. You look at what Randy Weingarten is saying about learning loss and mental health issues. She's the cause of them, not the sole cause, not by a long shot, but a very strong contributing cause to them. She helped write the guidelines for the CDC for keeping the schools closed, which was the driver of the learning loss and the social, emotional and mental health problems for kids in this world of social and emotional learning. You see it as SEL. I've always been curious why in the past two years that just went by the wayside. Why did the social and emotional learning of children completely go ignored and unaddressed by those that wanted to maintain the lockdowns and the immediate dramatic change in our children's educational, social, religious, and other li- and athletic uh, lives? In any event, her talking about it now the way she is talking about it as a plea to get extra money to deal with it is something akin to the arsonist complaining about the house burning down and needing insurance. Or what is the old standard one people used to talk about a lot? They talked about it's like the man on trial for killing his parents pleading for mercy on the court because he's an orphan. Yeah. All right. We have a lot to do today. Let me give the number right back. We'll talk. What does it mean to be a Republican, by the way? Is that a conversation worth having, too? Seems like a lot of people want to tell the Republican Party what Republicans are, who they should be and how they should be. Do we need to talk about that? We can. We can do that, too. 602-508-0960. I'm Seth Leibson, and we'll be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show. Portions of Roots are brought to you by Balance of Nature, balanceofnature.com. They're fruits and veggies. I take them every single day. Pure, potent plant power. Really good stuff. All natural, 100%. Not 99-something, 100% natural. No added sugar, no added anything. Nothing. Just fruits and veggies. 16 whole fruits, 15 whole veggies. You just take it once a day. And you get 10 servings, the equivalent of 10 servings of fruits and veggies uh, in um, in the Balance of Nature fruits and veggies. Check them out for yourself at balanceofnature.com. Boost your immunity. Keep your health high. Keep your energy up. Balanceofnature.com. Discount code BALANCE. I uh, was just speaking a moment ago with you about maybe we need to have a definition of what constitutes a Republican. Elon Musk saying he's joining the Republican Party. I toy in my head with this concept a lot. Uh, there are a lot of books on conservatism. Matt Continetti is, is probably the most recent one. We had Matt Continetti on. It's called The Right. It's a good book. 
uh, commentary is magazine just did a symposium on it if it interests you further um, and, uh, and, uh, and it's interesting there there are a few here and there not written by you know the founders of the modern conservative movement but really their legatees their students and their student students William Buckley was asked to write a book on conservatism and he never really did that uh, Steve Hayward writes in his new book on um, Stan Evans, that William Buckley tried several times to write a book on conservatism and gave up in frustration because it's an it's an it's a it's a difficult task, and it reminded me of an essay he had in a book of collection, a book of, of collected essays from conservatives that um, that he did in 1970 called "Have you ever seen or did you ever see a dream walking?" And in that he, uh, introductory essay, he says, "I'm." I just think this is fun. He says, I am asked most frequently by members of the lecture audiences, what is conservatism? Sometimes the questioner, guarding against the windy evasiveness one comes to expect from lecturers, will add, preferably in one sentence, on which occasions I reply, I could not give you a definition of Christianity in one sentence, but that does not mean that Christianity is undefinable. Usually, Buckley writes, that disposes of the hopes of those who wish or a neatly packaged definition of conservatism, which they can stow away. Those who are obstinate, I punish by giving, with a straight face, Professor Richard Weaver's definition of conservatism as the paradigm of essences towards which the phenomenology of the world is in continuing approximation. (laughs) Want to put that on a bumper sticker? The paradigm of essences towards which the phenomenology of the world is is in continuing approximation. Some that's that's just a little bit longer than not uh, emanatizing the eschaton, which we uh, played with as well as a bumper sticker once upon a time, didn't we? Okay, enough of that for the time being. But I'm happy to entertain the discussion with you if you wanted to try and define what a Republican is or what a conservative is. Happy to do that. Love it. Uh, what I did want to share with you is something Ayan Hirsi Ali wrote. Do many of you know her? She's at Stanford University. She was a member of the Dutch Parliament, uh, was put in apprehension of her life and moved here. Why was she put in fear of her life? Because uh, radical Islamists tried to kill her uh, for calling out the problems of radical Islam when she was in the Netherlands. Uh, She herself a victim, a child victim of radical Islamic practices, she being from where? Somalia, right? Uh, And um, and so she has come to America uh, like another Somali who is now an American, Ilan Omar. It's always interesting to me. You had these two people here and one came here to love this country and support its principles. And one came here with something else in mind. One came here to oppose Islamism, one came here to re-entrench it. Um, Very weird to me, very weird. But that's the world. And she has a piece up called The Myth of Racist America, uh, playing off what's been said and what was horrifically done this past weekend in Buffalo. I'm going to try and do the whole thing with you because I think it's worth it. What connects the tragedies of May 25th, 2020? And May 14th, 2022, the straightforward answer, at least to the media and the rest of the left, is systemic racism. 
On May 25th, 2020, a black man was murdered in Minneapolis, Minnesota, by a white police officer. The incident was filmed by onlookers and posted on social media. Suddenly, the whole world could see what American racism looked like. It was devoid of compassion. It was deadly. It cloaked itself in a white man's uniform. Two years later, almost to the day, there was a mass shooting at a grocery store in Buffalo, New York. Thirteen people were hit. Ten were killed. Eleven of the victims were black. The suspected killer is white. Racism almost certainly explains the attack in Buffalo. The suspect who broadcast a live stream during the attack claimed he had been plotting an ambush since January. Police have since revealed that he is not from Buffalo and that he traveled for three and a half hours to the supermarket, which sits in the zip code with the highest proportion of blacks in upstate New York. Officials are investigating a manifesto he allegedly wrote in which the author describes himself as everything from a socialist to a fascist to an anti-Semite. On the Saturday the shooting took place, Ion Hercioli writes, I was in Dallas at a conference attended by a range of distinguished African Americans, ranging from Glenn Laurie to Clarence Thomas. The key question we addressed was the following. What is holding back black America? The answer, it quickly became clear, had little to do with the phantom of systemic racism. We started by acknowledging the huge progress that blacks in America have made since desegregation in 1964. We have had a popular black president who won landslide elections and remains popular. We have two black Supreme Court justices. We have black billionaires, academics, media personalities, actors, and comedians. None of which is to say that America is any sort of utopia for black Americans. We also acknowledge the racial disparity in education, housing, crime, broken families. We expressed horror that while blacks make up 12% of the population, they account for 55% of homicide cases. What explains this disproportionate representation of black Americans? Again, I'm quoting from Hersey Ali. Taken in isolation, the tragedies in Minneapolis and Buffalo appear to suggest the answer lies in the behavior of racist police officers and white supremacists. Given the nature of the atrocities, perhaps this conclusion is inevitable. What happened in Buffalo, for instance, can only be described as horrific. The cold, calculated shooting, the loss of life, the heinous views of the suspected shooter. How can we view such an atrocity and not let it overwhelm our judgment? How can we not conclude that such evil merits nothing sort of massive societal change? This is so important. I don't want to give it short shrift. Let me take the pause here. Just take a beat for our commercial break. You stick with us. We'll get through the rest of what Ryan Hersey has to say. It's important. It's valuable. It's precious. It's worth doing in full. I'm Seth Liebson, and we will be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show. If many of you think that's a Rod Stewart song, it's not. It's a Bob Dylan song that uh, Rod Stewart uh, that Rod Stewart uh, recorded. Uh, John Dombrowski is our culture and economy expert. He joins us every day at 3.34 to give us the culture and economy update. He is the president and founder of Grand Canyon Planning Associates. GrandCanyonPlanning.com is his website. And uh, he has his own radio show here every uh, Saturday morning at 7 a.m., The Word on Wealth. John Dombrowski, how are you, sir? Fantastic. How are you doing? Good to have you again. Thank yes, you. Yes, thank as you. As always, I love your insights. Did you know that was a Bob Dylan song? I didn't. Yeah, but, Forever but, Young. Kind of fun, huh? Yeah, yeah. but you mentioned who Rod Stewart, who sang that. Yeah. Right? But it's interesting. Rod Stewart had a couple of, uh, you know, he had obviously a very good career. Yeah. 
A um, couple of weird songs, but... Uh, <laughs> You're talking about my bumper music, John. Tonight, tonight, I think I, tonight, <laughs> no, t- <laughs> They're in my... <laughs> but um, anyway, uh, he also did a, a bunch of like uh, standards. Yeah, yeah, you know? yeah. No. a very successful oh, album, but it's, I mean, his voice doesn't really you know, kind of meet, meet that, I don't know, for it, me it, anyway. It, but, <laughs> he, but it was very successful. <laughs> I've had a people I had a college roommate that came into <laughs> my freshman year into my dorm one day. I, I guess he had a frustrating date or something, mm-hmm. and he said, "Man, if I just had a voice like Rod Stewart, uh, I wouldn't have these problems." <laughs> <laughs> anyway, well, if we had maybe, a crystal yeah. ball, huh? maybe today we all say that. So yeah, that, you know, we don't have to look yeah. at what happened in the markets today. We shouldn't yes. look at what happened because the advice from Warren Buffett was not to. Uh, that's correct. So <laughs> let's take the advice for a day. We'll yes. take a beat on that one and go to the question I was kind of pushing uh, uh, yesterday with you the the notion of index funds yes. that we were talking about and I was I, I, I did a little work too on this because uh, I remember them not that not being a big term in the early 80s when I just started to kind of pay attention to what people were doing investment wise right. they were kind of fascinated with the big name then was Charles Schwab but the truth mm-hmm. is they did pre-exist that a little bit uh, Bogle and 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 uh, Vanguard and that stuff these things were around for a while before Schwab and others right oh of course you have yeah. uh, index funds and even Schwab itself or any of the major brokerage houses have their own S&P 500 yeah. index fund there but they go. put the Schwab name on it but it's basically nothing more than mirroring the S&P 500 or the Dow or the Nasdaq NASDAQ 100, the Russell, all of the indexes. Um, so it's very common. But, you know, yesterday we talked about that and how the 500 stocks in the S&P 500 are broken down into sectors of the market. And there are, at times, certain sectors of the market that are outperforming others. So you have that opportunity to even break things down further from that uh, macro to the micro, as we talked about yesterday, and to be able to invest in certain areas of the index or the markets by using sectors, different sectors. John, uh, when when we're looking at these sectors, yeah, and someone does take a look at what happened today, we'll violate the rule because mm-hmm. you know <laughs> we're impatient. You look at some of these big companies that we talked about yesterday: Target, Home Depot, right. TJX, Walmart, Dollar General. These are companies we all we all know of, mm-hmm. and 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 I, the question becomes: Okay, so if I'm in an index fund, generally I'm spread out, and the the risk and the reward is is you know it's 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 a, it's a it's a little bit more thinned out in my favor yes. because I'm placing more, shall we say, uh, more, 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 more chips on the, on the wheel. Spreading the risk. Yeah, yes. yeah, yeah, yeah. But the thing that I can't avoid is every, almost every story that makes sense to me about what's explaining some of these big day losses comes back to inflation. Yes. Well, there's no question. And okay. you and I have been talking about this uh, each day. We talk about something subtle yeah. about maybe the inflation and how it's affecting yeah. uh, certain areas of the market or individuals out there, real estate, uh, interest rates, oil prices. All of these things are being affected by inflation. And we also talked to the other, I don't know if it was this week or last week, about how companies are doing their best not to pass on in some cases, uh, some of the costs that they're incurring right, right, to, right, right. To, the, to the consumer. However, this is where now we're starting to see this, where companies like Target, companies yep. like Walmart yep. are no longer able mm-hmm. to uh, absorb all of these additional costs that they're seeing from their suppliers uh, and the cost of doing business because of the cost of even labor that they have, right? 
So uh, they're starting to have to pass that off to the consumer, which is going to, again, slow down the purchasing, which in turn is going to slow down corporate profits, which in turn is going to reduce the cost you know, of the share price. So it's it's a rippling effect. We're seeing this is a normal process that's that's working out out right now. It's a matter of how long it's going to take, how deep it's going to be, and then when is the recovery going to be, and are you going to be positioned properly? And that's what your expertise is, positioning people properly. That's Thank what we're working you, on. J.D. Appreciate you, brother. You bet. Securities and advisory services offered to Client One Securities LLC, a member of FINRA and Sipic, and an investment advisor, Grand Canyon Plenty Associates LLC, and Client One Securities LLC are not affiliated. Thank you, Seth. Here's a little traveling music for right. you, brother. Okay. Talk to you soon. Yes. God bless. unique investment opportunity for those of you looking uh, for such. It's uh, from my friends at Y-Refi, Y-R-E-F-Y. Um, they have a fixed no-load interest rate up with, with up to 10.25% for investors in a collateralized and secure portfolio. It's a business at Y-Refi where they are helping people dig out of debt, doing it the right way, doing the right thing in actually paying off their debts, doing so with dignity and getting their lives back in order, including fixing their FICO scores along the way. Why refi? But they're, they're my friends. I know these guys. I know this business model uh, that they have put together. It is fantastic. And they are a due diligence approved f- firm run by, as I say, really good people who I vouch for uh, implicitly and explicitly. They're doing really well by helping others, and you can, too. Check them out at investyrefi.com. That's invest, the letter Y, then R-E-F-Y.com. Or give them a call at 855-316-3087. They're local. You can visit them. You won't get a sales pitch. They love talking about what they're doing, and uh, it's educational, if nothing else. Check them out, investyrefi.com. I promised to give you the rest of Ian Hersieli, and I want to do that. Uh, it won't take me very long, and then we'll get to the calls. But Ayan Hersieli uh, is writing about w- how we look at the tragedies that are taking place and how, uh, h- how they are being racialized and why they're being racialized wrongly. She says, if the past two years have taught us anything, it's that monocausal explanations are almost always misguided and as a consequence, almost always end up harming the vulnerable. As the Black Lives Matter movement mobilized following the murder of George Floyd, America descended into anarchy fueled by riots and slogans about systemic racism. When activists demanded that police departments be defunded, local stations were not exactly closed down, but they were intimidated to the point that many stopped serving in the most vulnerable neighborhoods. The consequences of this swiftly became evident. In the same year that BLM fever seized the country, at least 8,600 black lives were lost to homicide, an increase of more than 1,000 from the year before. Who knows that? Anyone? Thrown into a frenzy by their overzealous conviction that white racism is the root cause of all evil, BLM turned a blind eye to large numbers of black Americans who were being killed or who found themselves forced to live in neighborhoods terrorized by gangs. We now know what they turned their open eye to, don't we? There were no protests or demands for meaningful policies to make black neighborhoods safer. Rather, the movement's organizers busied themselves by, yes, throwing parties at their $6 million Los Angeles mansion and deciding how to spend the $90 million received in donations. Why save black lives when you can while away your time spending more than $37 million on grants, real estate, consultants, and other expenses? Still, 
At least that information is now available. Patrice Coulors, a BLM co-founder, recently dismissed calls to make public BLM's finances, describing the prospect of filling out an IRS 990 form as triggering, her words, and deeply unsafe, her words. Of course, it's all too easy to dismiss her disingenuous victim fantasies as farce, but it is not just personal accountability that is missing here. Ideological scrutiny is also effectively avoided, as critics are inevitably accused of being racist. Take, for example, Ronald Fryer, the celebrated African-American economist at Harvard. He debunked the persistent narrative that the police kill more blacks than whites. For that, as well as his criticisms of education policy, he was effectively canceled by his university. His research was deemed traitorous. And looking at the response to the Buffalo shooting for black activists and leftist politicians, it is clear a narrative that trumpets the suffocating impact of racism still prevails. But the facts are the facts. As Professor Fryer explained in Dallas at our conference, there are racial differences in the use of nonlethal force by police officers, with blacks largely at a disadvantage, but not in officer-involved shootings. In his speech afterwards, Shelby Steele, who we had on this show about a week ago, the author of White Guilt, summarized the implications of this reality. Despite the fact that some racism persists, Americans remain the best country in the world. America remains the best country in the world to be black, according to Steele. We all applauded when he said that. It should not have been a sensational remark. And yet it was. Not interesting. Everyone, everyone in that room understood the attack, as the attack in Buffalo demonstrated that certain individuals are motivated by a loathing for black people. But this shouldn't define us, let alone the country we live in. For black Americans to progress, we need to cast off today's dependency on white guilt for recognition and support. What is the way forward if you accept that blacks in America are free? It is, have, to, have the, it is to have the courage to live that freedom. It means holding ourselves accountable for our behavior. It means learning to shape our destiny regardless of skin color. And it means ignoring the divisive rhetoric propagated by those such as Patrice Coulors, Kamala Harris, and Ibram X. Kendi. In Texas, the day after the Buffalo attack, a shootout between five Hispanic men at a crowded flea market left two dead and three wounded. Roughly two hours later in California, a 60-year-old Asian gunman walked into a Taiwanese church and opened fire, killing one and wounding five. This is what crime looks like in America. It is chaotic, disordered, and irreducible. The skin color of its victims and perpetrators is far from fixed. Racism, then, is not the whole story. In fact, racism has never been the whole story. Yet faced with an election year and an uphill battle to retain the House and Senate this November, perhaps it is unsurprising that so many Democrats are keen to turn the Buffalo shooting into another George Floyd moment, an excuse to deflect difficult questions and to turn politics into a binary realm of good and evil. Once again, we're told either you're with us or you're a racist, even if being on the side of good means exploiting the misery of others. Thank you, Ion Hersey Ali. Thank you very much. It's, it's a strange world we live in where only someone like Ion Hersey Ali can write something like that, and it's unfortunate. It's unfortunate. But <clears throat> you've gone through what she's gone through. She had a price on her head. I think she's worth paying attention to, a lot more attention to 
than someone like Ilan Omar, who understands almost probably nothing of what Ayan Hirsi Ali is writing. Really, probably doesn't, even though they both live in the same country and came from the same country, which is different from the one they live in now. I posed uh, the question, how would you define a Republican? Doug in Carefree says he can do it in one sentence. Hi, Doug. How are you? Uh, hi, Seth. <laughs> On the spot again. Yeah. Um, it basically is a youngster. Uh, in 1980, I turned 18 and I voted for Ronald Reagan. Yes, and uh, be, trying to be a student of the right, um, I'll, I'll try and sum it up by... The right believes in or has faith in humanity, and the left has faith in the state. There you and go. Yeah. So that's my attempt. That, that, um, that, that, I, that's, I a, that's a pretty good start. That's a pretty good start. That, that by the way, is somewhat uh, adumbrated by Barry Goldwater's book, Opening Portions of uh, the Conscience of a Conservative. I don't know. That book is so worth rereading 1960 so worth rereading so relevant for those of you that haven't read it conscience of a conservative barry goldwater's book it was a revolutionary book uh and obviously propelled his candidacy to the presidency worth reading thank you doug we'll be right back not a chill through the winter but a nip in the air welcome back to the seth leapson show hello rob how are you brother I'm good, Seth. How about you? I'm doing fine, thank you. Well, thanks. Uh, my uh, my original thinking when you brought up Bill Buckley and how he couldn't find a conservative, I was I was really struggling with the idea of how do you define a Republican? Yeah, right. Then. Yeah, yeah. That, you know, somebody somebody that's a member of the Republican Party. Well, that doesn't tell you. Much. <laughs> uh, you know. Um, uh, somebody who believes you and I are, yeah. I mean, right, right? Because that puts us in the same club with, uh, you know, Susan Collins, I suppose, or Mitt yeah, Romney. Yeah, exactly. But, I, but, but, you know, upon further thought, I, I was thinking that the, the core beliefs of Republicans are supposed to be not necessarily that they are or always have been. Um, the core beliefs tend to be centered on the idea that each person is, is responsible. For their own place within society, and and this is something a lot of Republicans don't always understand out of government. That the party also believes there is a role in government. Yep. Um, but that role is to help people secure the benefits of society for themselves and families and those who are unable to do so for themselves. What we call the blessings uh, of liberty, right? Yeah. And then they also believe that I believe, and correct me if I'm wrong. They think that uh, politics should be more at the state and local level yep. and less focused on the federal level, which is the exact opposite that uh, we hear in the media all yeah. the time. Yeah. You yeah. Know, so, so I think you know, the, the sort of best government that Republicans believe in is, is one that's close to the people. Yeah, the best and, government is the most localized government. Right. Yeah, and that government shouldn't interfere unless they're really, no kidding, needed. Right. Um, and that the strength of our nation relies on that individual. Uh, and for that individual, we have, you know, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, yep. uh, which is which is freedom and dignity and personal responsibility. Uh, there's also, you know, the free enterprise versus uh, government handouts, uh, which we know which side believes in what. But again, Republicans haven't always been consistent in that regard. Um, 
they also aren't consistent when it comes to practicing fiscal responsibility. And boy, I sure wish they would, especially now. Um, but I think that they also, you know, besides a lot of the usual stuff, abortion rights and keeping more of your tax money to yourself and so forth. Um, and, but the, the, the main thing really is just having, having a say in government more at the local and state level. I, I think that's right. I No, I do. I've always liked the phrase, although not everyone agrees with it, certainly not every Republican, I've always liked the phrase econ, uh, an economics of liberty and a sociology of virtue. I, I'm willing to carry this conversation on through the rest of the week and maybe even dedicate a monologue to it this week. And if we are going to do that together, folks, Rob and the rest of you, um, let me let me urge you to take a look at the very first Republican platform, 1856. It's available freely online. Take a look at that. I'm Seth Liebson. We'll be right back. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com. <laughs> 